Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butt. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Pop culture news goes. So I think we're gonna dump. No. <laughs> dump ourselves into the Olympics. All right. Well, let's get started. This week we are, in addition to what we're feeling this week, we're going to be talking about the Olympics. It's all right. We're very. Some of us are very excited about it. We've been watching all week, and we have a lot of thoughts that we want to share. Um, but first, let's introduce ourselves. Brent, why don't you start us off? And when you do, why don't y'all share us? your favorite Olympic-themed movie. Hello, my name is Brent Bailey. I am from Chicago, Illinois, where I work in tech and write about uh, faith and pop culture online. Right now, I am sitting in Nashville, Tennessee, across the microphone from Sandra, which yes, is a great experience. All to myself this <laughs> yes. week. Uh, and my favorite Olympics-themed movie is the classic Cool Runnings. Yay. Um, I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from the Bay Area, and I'm going to go super dark on this one, but my favorite Olympics theme movie would be Munich. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the best ones, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, it's a great, yeah. great movie. Um, I'm Sandra Amstutz. I am from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a social media manager, and mine is um, Miracle, with the cutting edge as a close second, because nice. you know I love a good rom-com. <laughs> So no one picked Chariots of Fire. I thought somebody would pick Chariots of Fire. I haven't seen Chariots of Fire. I've heard the theme. Who knows? I mean, oh, really? I've not seen Chariots of Fire. I've seen it. It, But, you know, I don't know. The Winter Olympics are always much better for movies than I think the Summer Olympics are. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, Lawson is taking the week off this week, but we miss him dearly. Um, so, Brent, let's get started with you. What are you feeling this week? Absolutely. Uh, this week I'm feeling the new trailer for Rogue One. Uh, I can't remember the full name. It's like Rogue One, a chapter in the Star Wars saga or something. <laughs> it has a really long subtitle. Uh, but during the Olympics coverage, we've been seeing a ton of really bizarre commercials that were like half Olympics footage, half Rogue One footage teasing the new trailer because we live in an age in which there are like trailers for trailers uh but finally on thursday night they premiered the trailer for rogue one and it was beautiful uh, i already had really high expectations for this movie uh but this elevated them even more um there's a lot to love about this trailer um obviously all of the cast seems to be doing really good work in a way that um gets me even more excited for this film um this trailer is just full of really stunning, like, beautiful shots. Um, that was one thing that the marketing for Force Awakens did so well, is there were just shots of the Star Wars universe that included familiar elements that um, looked completely unlike anything we had seen in the in that film saga. So I feel like the new Rogue One trailer shows that as well. Um, Gareth Edwards, the director, seems to have a really impressive sense of, st- of scale, um, so there's lots of shots in particular, like Star Destroyers, and then, of course, the Death Star, um, where you're just kind of like, it almost takes your breath away because you realize you're seeing just something so huge and intimidating and impressive. Um, and we just live in an era in which filmmakers can really put anything they want on screen. And so to have moments and trailers that like genuinely surprise us just because of the visuals and what we're seeing in the scale, um, I think is it's pretty impressive to pull that off nowadays. Um, 
So the trailer itself, yeah, it's got stunning visuals, um, lots of great um, character interactions that make it feel like we're going to actually be seeing characters and people on screen rather than just tropes or types. Um, and there's been a lot of fun buzz coming out of this. Um, I remember, uh, I think the night after the trailer premiered, there was a meme that was going around uh, on Twitter, and it was the first shot was uh, Darth Vader from A New Hope saying... Um, as he's talking to Leia um, about what's happened to the Death Star plans, and he tells a commander, there will be no one to stop us this time. And then the next shot in the meme is just Felicity Jones from uh, Rogue One. So I like the idea that everybody's like, oh, this is actually the group that like stood up to Darth Vader, um, yeah. and it's just going to be an impressive group of people. And then one of the other big pieces of discussion that's been coming out is because Rogue One is a standalone film, and as far as we know, there are no plans to make, like, a sequel to this. Um, we really don't know what's going to happen to any of these characters. So it's possible, like, all of them die, or it's possible a lot of them die. And the stakes just feel higher, a lot higher than they normally feel in a franchise film like this. So... I hadn't considered that. And that, you're so right, that, like, yeah, anyone can die, and it doesn't really matter, because, like, it's right before a movie we've already seen. Right. And, yeah. and people even said, like, if everybody dies, then going into A New Hope, suddenly Darth Vader is, like, even more intimidating and scary than he was before, because you've already seen him, like, yeah, you already know that he can kill people that are close to us, or that we care about. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really voting for everybody dying. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it would definitely be, like, if they want these films to stand apart in tone from the rest of the Star Wars universe, that would be yeah. one good way to do it. But, yeah, I just think they should give a medal to whoever's been doing the Star Wars marketing these last few years, because they are uh, definitely doing a great job, and I am totally on board for this movie. You know, one thing that I think is so cool about these trailers for Rogue One is this balance they have to strike of making it look, like, like professional and modern, modern in that it's a movie being made in 2016, but it still has to like look, f match the same look as the movie yeah. that were made in the 70s right. because it's taking place in that timeline. And so striking that balance of like this old and new at the same time is, it's so tricky. And I feel like they're doing it just from what I've seen in the trailers. Yeah. And I've even seen in interviews that I don't think they use many miniatures in the creation of this film, but there are a few shots of the Star Destroyers that look like they could be right out of like A New Hope or Empire Strikes Back. It looked like something about the way that they shoot it and light it just really has the feel of. Yeah, there's of a miniature. Yeah I, yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. It looks really good. Yeah, it looks like really tactile and, and yeah. super realistic. It's great. And I'm yeah. thinking also, like, especially with the costuming, because, like, oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. You don't want to make a movie that looks like the way we costume movies today in 2016. <laughs> right. But you do yeah. want it to still not feel like cheap or, or old fashioned. You know, it's, it's right. a fine balance. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's like, as much as I love The Force Awakens, I had a lot of fun with it. It did kind of feel like a very safe retread of a lot of territory we've covered before. And so even though aesthetically this movie is um, is kind of reusing a lot of what we've seen in previous films, this feels like it, it's going to be the first, like, really distinctly original Star Wars story we've seen in a long time. I'm trying to remember from the trailers, do we know much about the Felicity Jones character and that she, is she like... Um... Like a criminal, or is she just a soldier, or do we know much about her background? It's very unclear. This most recent trailer alluded to her like having been in chains. Okay. So we don't know for what reason she was in chains. Okay. Uh, I feel like the original, the first trailer gave you a little more um, like dialogue involving her kind of before they sent her on right. this mission. Uh, but there's still a lot of mystery sur uh, surrounding the plot of this film. Yeah. I'm just very curious if she's going to be sort of a Han Solo character in the, for this movie, you know, just kind of like this yeah. 
like I can't avoid saying reluctant. like rogue, like this like rogue <laughs> yeah. character that um yeah yeah reluctant soldier or if she is yeah. just like a trained soldier. I'm just very curious. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Can't wait mm-hmm. to see that. Um, Lucas, what are you feeling this week? So I am feeling um, last week tonight with John Oliver. Um, have you guys seen this HBO show? Yeah, definitely. I have watched episodes here and there. I, I'm not a regular weekly viewer. Yeah. Same here. It's the kind of show that when it does something great, everybody I know posts it. And so that's I've taken in like bits and pieces of it. But yeah, I don't watch it every week. Yeah, he's really taken over the space that Jon Stewart left um, when he left The Daily Show last year. And I feel like it's really needed, especially in that like, w- this is a political election year. And this is when Jon Stewart did a great job of kind of handling a lot of the political satire in a, in a really fun way. Um, and a lot of people thought that Trevor Noah would be taking over that spot since he literally took over Jon Stewart's job. Um, but I really feel like the mantle has moved over to, to John Oliver on HBO and... I feel like he's kind of taken that format and done a really good job of it. I think it's weird that um, most of his clips just end up on YouTube, and that's where most people consume it because most people don't watch it live. Most people don't watch it on HBO. Um, but I think he's done a really good job of kind of um, kind of fragmenting his his show into YouTubeable sections, which has been a really great way of kind of marketing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 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 really where I watch this the most is the next day on YouTube. So it is for me. It's last week, last night on YouTube. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I yeah I, I definitely think like this kind of like late night show is definitely where, um, it's it's the kind of news that I like to watch. It's, it's a kind of it's satire. It's you know it's poking fun at most things, but um, it also like he does a really good job of diving in deep and doing some research and finding out more information about about a lot of these topics that I feel like most news coverage just kind of, you know, glances over the top of. Yeah, the long-form nature of his show is something that I feel like I, we haven't seen before. You know, in in a world of Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert, and where it's always, the, and Trevor Noah, where it's these short news clips, his, like, yeah. because he's on HBO, his ability to, like, go deep and do research into, like, a topic... Um, and per, like, and really create yeah. arguments is yeah. along with comedy is just so compelling. Um, mm-hmm. a favorite comedy writer of mine, Josh Gondelman writes for that show. And I've heard interviews of him talking about like how different it is to write for a show like last week tonight than it is any other kind of late night news related mm-hmm. show. Um, just in that yeah. there's so much prep work for these bits. Oh yeah, you can months. you can totally right. tell how yeah. much research goes into each one of these things, and like that you have real like investigative journalists going into these things and really diving in in deep, which I think is really really cool to see. And it still is incredibly funny. Like that. Oh yeah, it's not like a new show with a few jokes. It's a very no, 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 no. funny show. Right. Yeah. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> well, and I feel like he is one of the rare people that like can still provide a hot take on topics that even that maybe have already received a lot of attention. I remember um, when he did the the long Trump piece, mm-hmm. and that was at a time yeah. where, I mean, everybody was already kind of sick of, like, hearing about Trump, because there was just, you can only say, like, wow, this guy is, uh, was originally kind of hysterical and is now really terrifying. You can only say that so many times, and so it was right. already, that. I mean, that was months ago, it was already hard to say something new about Trump. 
uh, and like they managed to pull it off and in a way that was like instantly shareable and that really caught on to where yeah. I still hear people like refer to him as Drump. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to like, <laughs> I don't want to do this, but like he, he's actually been going after Trump like s- since the beginning, which I think is, is really commendable. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like a, a couple other comedians have kind of let him slide a little bit up oh, until absolutely. now where we're at a point where it's like, okay, everybody's going to go for him. But yeah, he's right. been, you know, battling that battle for a long time, which I, I mean, think is commendable yeah no absolutely it still horrifies me that trump hosted snl last year yeah. like oh, yeah <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> and oh, man, that we let a, him get away with that what an awkward horrifying night that was for everybody yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah not great <laughs> another like really cool thing about him because he's on hbo and hbo doesn't have advertisers is that mm-hmm. he's able to go after major corporations in a way that like maybe some talk show hosts aren't yes, allowed to go true. after i feel like yep. one of his very first episodes in his first season he went after some like major car company i don't remember which one um but for like yeah something that really irresponsible that they were doing to consumers and he was allowed to because there wasn't a toyota commercial immediately following (laughs) content yeah Yeah, it's true but i would yeah i would definitely check it out i mean honestly like i said like youtube like definitely watch all of this on youtube it's like 90 percent of his shows are are on youtube and so it's a really great way to yeah. To catch up on what, what's going on in the world. So That's so interesting to me that HBO allows for so much of his show to be on YouTube. Like I know. HBO is like the most closed, like compartmentalized yeah. uh, network ever. But his show, like they, they have a YouTube channel and they post their stuff regularly, which I think it's a great way to get people interested in HBO. Yeah, <laughs> right. it feels like a nice gateway. Yeah, um, absolutely. Especially at a time yeah. where I guess HBO now came out. It felt like sometime around the time when mm-hmm. John Oliver uh, premiered. Um, so yeah, it does feel like a nice way to kind of let people peek in the door a bit to right. catch on to all the other shows they have. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 th- I think that's the only way this show can, like a, a show like this can thrive with news pieces like this is people watching those clips on YouTube. And that, that I think is what has, has made it as big as it is. Yeah. I'm also just going to throw out there that someone who I think is equally compelling and funny and doing very similar work as Samantha B right now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Those and are the so, only two that I watch on YouTube the next day. <laughs> yeah. So if you love last week tonight already, you should definitely also be watching Samantha B's Absolutely. material. As much as I love, I mean, yeah, I love John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, uh, but it felt like it was rare that you saw them break through kind of the ironic detachment and to mm-hmm. be really sincere. And they both did um, frequently, but it was, um, it felt like it was rare, whereas with Samantha B and John Oliver both, it feels like a lot of times they're just kind of dancing the line between like, hey, this is a really funny thing. And also, hey, this is really serious. And I'm um, like, I'm much more overtly using comedy to get at something that would otherwise be really kind of hard and terrifying to talk about. Mm-hmm. So there is Definitely. just a certain kind of like the stakes almost feel higher in that so much more of their emotion, their like honest emotion is coming through partially because, well, yeah, I mean, compared to like a Stephen Colbert, they're not playing a character or playing right. a part. Right. Well, and like with both Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert, it often felt like they were chuckling at how like crazy or idiotic our political system could be and yeah and john oliver and samantha b seem to be more like outraged and like really dumbfounded (laughs) by like how we have allowed this to happen yeah absolutely yeah yeah uh, well, that's a great pick, Lucas. We can always use a reminder to watch more of John Oliver. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so this week, my, I am feeling a new television show called Take My Wife. Um, it's from comedians Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher. 
uh, who are married comics and that, you know, live together and work together. This show is airing on CISO. I've talked about CISO a few weeks ago as a new streaming mm-hmm. service that's available. Um, just right so up CBS, at the... CBS, right? NBC. So NBC, NBC okay. yeah. has created... It's NBC has created this streaming service, but it's not just NBC content. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. Um, but it's a comedy-focused streaming service. And... Right up top, I just want to say that if you're interested in CISO or Take My Wife, you can start a two-month free trial using the code Take My Wife. They've been promoting that code. So I would recommend everyone do that because it's free for two months, and that's really exciting. Um, But to get into this show, like I said, it's about two um, comics who are women. They're dating each other. They, um, one of them, Cameron Esposito, is a little bit more successful and further along in her comedy career. And her partner, Rhea Butcher, is a little bit more of a newcomer. Um, And the TV show, they play themselves. And it's just about them um, being a couple and working in the same industry together. Um, it's about what it's like to be women in com- in comedy. It's about what it's like to be a lesbian in comedy. Uh, it's about what it's like when your partner is further along in their career than you are and how that feels. Um, or when there's like an imbalance in who makes more money than the other. It deals with just kind of like your everyday romance, workplace, sitcom tropes, but in a very new and fresh way. Um, I'm really loving this show. It's only six episodes. Each episode is usually between 20 and 25 minutes long. So I was able to like down the season so quickly. Um, less, you know, it takes, it took less time to watch all of season one of Take My Wife than it did for us to watch Batman versus Superman Ultimate Edition. (laughs) So, and I think the time was depressing, much better spent. Um, yeah, I find this series very romantic, very playful, um, very honest. I will say, and the New York Times did a piece about this that I think hit on these points very well and that they called it, um, they referred to it as having a DIY charm, which other people might call like low budget. <laughs> um, yep. yeah, it's pretty, it is pretty low budget and it, and that's very obvious, but it also didn't bother me very much. Um, Cameron and Rhea aren't the most natural of actresses. They're stand-up comedians. You know, their their history is not in acting in TV and movies. Um, but they are playing themselves. And there are definitely, like, really important moments when that shines through. And their, like, banter with each other is really fun. And um, I just, I really enjoy seeing them in their element as comedians on this TV show. Um, it's It's really great. I also think it's so... Refreshing to see a show about a lesbian couple where, and they touch on this in the show, where you can feel confident that neither of them are going to die because so often (laughs) lesbians are killed in TV shows. It's really gotten to a point where as soon as a woman is introduced as queer, I am just counting down the seconds till she's killed off. And so it's refreshing to watch a show about two women that are just in love and know that like this is going to be, like they might have relationship struggles because any show about a relationship is going to have those moments where these characters struggle with one another. But you know that like this is going to be about a happy couple that gets married and loves each other and is going to live. <laughs> and so that's also... They're both going to survive. Yeah. It's very <laughs> exciting. And it shouldn't just be... just your baseline that version. Sim- <laughs> yeah. That simple fact shouldn't be so exciting to me, but it is. 
Yeah. So, Lucas, I think you watched the pilot episode of this. Is that correct? I did watch the pilot episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so okay, one of the things that I... Uh, here's a couple things. A couple things that I hate... I have... How do I say this best? <laughs> <laughs> the things that I hate most about TV shows are poor production quality, mm-hmm. um, bad acting, and... Uh-oh. Shows about the people, shows about the actors that aren't actually about the actors. So, okay, things like exactly like this. What do you mean by (laughs) shows about the actors that are like? What do you like? Like, like actor actors, uh, basically playing their real life, but playing a character. So, so they're 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 not going to be credited as themselves. They're going to be credited as a character, but their character is really themselves. So, like, I, I like. Like, like what? <laughs> Said like oh, Elf. Like Elf. Yeah, yes. exactly. Like Elf. But like, so it. like a Louis C.K. or a Mark Maron, like a Louis, or even a Seinfeld. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All of those shows stress me out a little bit too much for me to actually like. <laughs> um, and and this, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, this is gonna hit all of those things for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 really, honestly, I didn't. I did not think the pilot was funny. I th- I thought there was a lot of strange jokes, and I thought a lot of it came from. Um, having the people producing the show also be the people writing the show and not a huge like quality check mm-hmm. <laughs> going on there. Um, but based on your advice, I watched the second episode as well. Oh, uh, good. I, I genuinely do not like pilots at all. So it's hard right. for me to, yeah, really <laughs> to pilots to, are just uncomfortable because everyone's meeting and doing all this work for the very yep. first time with each other. Right. Yep. There's always so much setup in a pilot. So, um, but Funnily yeah, this, this, uh, enough, this pilot, the title episode is called Setup. Because yeah, they're comedians, yeah. the the episodes are called Setup, Punchline, you know, and oh, different nice. like co- comedy terms. And so it's funny to call your pilot Setup. I think that's a fun in-house mm-hmm. joke. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I, yeah, so I watched the second episode and the second episode got to me. Even though, I mean, it's exactly the same. It's still low, you know, low budget production. It's still the same actors. Everything is the same. But, um, I think the themes in it just made me way more interested in the show and way more interested in these characters. Um, I, I, I actually really love, uh, both of their standup routines Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've seen before. Um, but I think that the thing that got me was just them writing this. But I, I like it. This it reminded me of Master of None a little bit. I had a little trouble getting into Master of None because I was I didn't know like, okay, what is this show supposed to be? You know, what it what what is your goal here with this show? Right. Um. And and really, Master of None is just super charming and dives into like some really awesome topics that a lot of comedies don't. And I think they're doing the exact same thing here with Take My Wife. Um. And it. It's one I'm going to continue watching, so. <laughs> oh. Okay. Lucas, I'm really glad to hear that because um, I was I, I was trying to decide whether or not to, like, pressure you into watching the second episode <laughs> because the uh, second yeah. episode, I think, is the best episode of the season. Um, I think it's just very, very good in that it's, like, a very tightly written um, piece of writing. The second episode takes place entirely during a comedy show. So it's backstages, in the green rooms, excuse me, in the bathrooms, um, on stage. Um, And so it's a very, like, compact episode that I really appreciate. Uh, And it also touches on some really serious topics, such as, like, rape and, like, comedians making rape jokes. Hmm. But it does it in such an, I believe, like, elegant way it's never too much but it's just enough to like really make you think and really like be affecting um 
Yeah. Do you I, get a lot of their stand-up in the show? You get, like, pieces. So in the show, not in the pilot episode because it's a lot of setup, but throughout the rest of the season, the two of them host a comedy show together. Okay. So they don't do a lot of um, single-person here's my stand-up routine stand-up, but they do a lot of in-between stand-up acts, the two of them on stage, bantering kind of stand-up. Um, so yeah, you get stand-up, but it's not their their routine, their singular person like material, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, a nice balance because I don't watch yeah. a TV show for to watch stand-up routines. I want to see like this story unfold. Right. And when it's the two of them on stage together bantering that, <clears throat> excuse me, that story does get to unfold in like a stand-up format. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I also just want to stress about how, like, I do think it's funny. I think, like we said, it's low budget. The production quality isn't great. That doesn't bother me as much because I really love like a lot of web series that have kind of a similar level of production quality. Yeah. Um, but the thing that is really the most charming for me is just seeing them as a couple. I don't have a lot of shows that feature heavily as the main characters, lesbian couples. Um, and so it's really, really great to watch them. Yeah. Okay. So how many episodes and it's viewable on CISO anywhere else? Yeah. Just on the, the whole series is viewable on CISO. The pilot episode you can watch for free, I believe on Vox. So if you just Google take my wife pilot, I'm sure you can find that to watch for free. Um, we'll but also tweet out a link. Sure. Definitely. Um, but it's six episodes. Each episode is under 25 minutes. So Perfect. like I said, it is so easy to like watch this whole season in one sitting. all summer for the Olympics to get started. Uh, let's, I guess, start our conversation with the opening ceremony. Did yeah, y'all all watch that? Yep. Great. Yes, I did. Um, so, how did y'all feel about the opening ceremony? Was it entertaining? Affecting? Were there highlights? What did you think, Brent? Uh, other than all of the really legitimate criticisms about NBC's presentation of the opening <laughs> ceremonies in terms yeah. of just, like, chopping it up into tiny bits. Oh, um, so many airing commercials. Airing on a weird schedule. Uh, the opening ceremonies themselves, I thought, were a blast. I thought they, I thought uh, they did a great job in Rio. Um, it's harder and harder, I think, every year to do something that's going to feel distinct and feel like you're not just doing a different version or a less impressive version of something that's been done before recently. Especially after Beijing. Especially after Beijing. And then, like, even London, like, they took a really different approach. But in terms of the way they covered, like, their history and especially their, like, literature and music and kind of their cultural contributions to the world, Mm -hmm. it felt like Rio was going to have to do something totally new. And, yeah, their opening ceremonies felt really new and fresh fresh to me. Um, I mean, the story is that the kind of the budget for the opening ceremonies and even the stadium they were presenting them in was lower than other countries have had. And so I thought they made really creative use of the projector stage. Um, There were a lot of, Mm -hmm. like, great visual tricks and illusions. Um, And... Yeah, there was just so much, like, style and color and flavor to it that I really enjoyed. Um, not Maybe not as many kind of breathtaking moments as we've seen in previous opening ceremonies. 
Um, but are you meaning to tell me that when Giselle walked across? I mean, that's, that, in my mind, that's the one that kind of stands stands out as like being something really distinct. Like yeah. this is. I mean, it was icky how often they referred to her as like an export. Yes, I tweeted um, the exact yeah. same thing. That I was very grossed out by them just referring to her as Brazil's most famous export. I'm like she's right. a human being, yes. not an export. Right, but I mean, even like just walking. I mean, so much of the Olympics is just watching people do amazing, like, physical feats that you don't see anywhere else. And even just watching her walk, I was like, I've never been so on the edge of my seat about, like, what if she trips? But of course she's not going to trip because, like, she's an expert and she knows exactly what she's doing. Um, So, yeah, even a moment like that I thought was, like, really breathtaking and just a great way to say this is... Uh, I'm, let's use a word other than export, but like this is someone who's really famous and important to our culture, and we're gonna like we're gonna honor her, right? Yeah. All I want out of an opening ceremony is to learn more about the country and actually like connect with the country on some level, mm. and that's yeah. that's that's really what I want. Is is like you don't have to do you know a bunch of crazy stunts. I just want to learn more about like your culture, and I want to connect with it in a way that then once we have the parade of, of flags, then I'm connecting with everyone else. So I just get like an, I get an intro of your country and then we move on to, you know, I love the world kind of stuff. And, right. and, and, I, and I thought it did a really good job of that. I feel like, I feel like they really presented themselves in a authentic Brazilian way, which I think thought was a ton of fun. Yeah. I thought that bit about the plane was like so interesting about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, as far as the projection goes, I thought it was so cool and creative. The part where they were um, projecting the tops of buildings onto a flat surface, yeah. and these dancers mm-hmm. were like yeah. looking Parkour like they were jumping, across. yeah, across buildings when they were on just a flat like floor was so cool. As like a Jason Bourne fan, that was like really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. As yeah, I, I was really I really appreciated that moment. Um, I also really loved the dancers that were dressed in all white, but like all different clothing that was all white. It was like very mm-hmm. like cool, modern yeah. Uh, yeah. outfits. I was really taken aback by like how cool those clothes looked. Absolutely. I also, I appreciated that, you know, every Olympics um, or every Olympiad, there's going to be like major political issues. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot simmering right under the surface. And it's always really curious to see like, how different news stations or how different countries are going to address that. And so I thought in particular the way that these game, these opening ceremonies at least alluded to topics like um, colonialism and then much less than alluded, they just straight up um, brought attention to like climate change, global Mm -hmm. warming. Um, I really appreciated that that as well. And when when the global warming piece came on, it felt um, a little jarring and a little like okay, we're ta- we're like we're having real talk now. Yeah. But I was yep. I, I really appreciate they were willing to kind of dive right into that. Yeah, of any topic like worthy of a worldwide stage, like global yeah. warming is definitely Seriously. like I think number one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then I just have to say the uh, the torch this year just like took my breath away and yeah. like yeah I don't know why <laughs> but just when they when the you know when the like lamp raised up and you saw the like kind of spinning gold um, yeah like ornamentation surrounding it it was like the camera just stayed on it for a while and i was just like kind of in awe of it i just thought it was like one of those rare like beautiful distinct moments mm-hmm. well let's talk about the games themselves um so i have I, let's get out of the way first do y'all have like a favorite sport that happens at the olympics that you're definitely going to tune in for or are you kind of just like evenly excited across the board i think for me the, i i for the most part, I tune in to watch a specific 
player. Okay. Um, so, and every, every year I feel, I feel like that, that changes. Um, this year I was really invested in the women's gymnastics team, mm-hmm. um, just because of, you know, how much all the, you know, all the stories that, that kind of preceded this. But I feel like every year I find a new favorite sport. I feel like, I feel like while watching the Olympics, I find a sport that's like, this is the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. And I, <laughs> and it's not stuff that I would normally like tune in to watch. Like this year is archery and just how, like, I, I feel like it's not, it's not a very cinematic sport at all, but just watching the skill involved in that um, was amazing. And um, yeah, it's definitely not like if someone said, hey, the Archery World Championships are on, I would absolutely not be watching that. Mm-hmm. But because it's the Olympics, I'm 100% invested. Yeah, for me, women's gymnastics is always the big draw. Um, I can remember as far back as the 96 games when I would have been seven, um, like I was hooked that year. I was completely like, obsessed with the women's olympics team that year and every year since i've that's been the one that draws me in um the last couple olympics i've gotten much more into watching the distance races so like the endurance cycling and endurance running Mm. um partially just because like i got into distance running and i've never really gotten into any sport in my life and so finally to watch a sport where i can like recognize and appreciate like their suffering yeah (laughs) Uh, but also the distance races um so many of the like really shorter races, there's a lot of drama and there's a lot of like, oh, this person's in the lead and now this person's in the lead, but it plays out over like less than a minute or like three or four minutes. Whereas distance races, you have drama, but it's drama that like burns over two hours. And a lot of times still comes down to the last like 30 seconds. So I just, yeah, I feel like in terms of purely like a viewing experience, um, some of those distance races give you um, uh, much more drama than even like the really short sprints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always appreciated sports um, where you have to craft a routine. So what I kind of, in my head, are are the more artistic sports. So things like gymnastics, synchronized diving. Um, When it comes to Winter Olympics, things like skating or... Um, or like X Games when it comes to like like the skateboarding or snowboarding mm-hmm. events, you know mm-hmm. those yeah. any any event where it's there's a judge involved that gives you a score versus a race or like a de- like a definitive winner, you know mm-hmm. um, those are the ones that are always more exciting for me, Pro- possibly because even if you're spoiled and you know who won, it's still really exciting to watch. So like with a swimming race or a basketball game, if you know who won ahead of time, you can definitely still enjoy it, but a lot of like the anticipation is taken out of that viewing experience. Whereas I think with something like gymnastics, even if you know who won the gold medal, watching those routines is still really exciting because you don't know like when are they going to waver when are they going to like hop instead of stick the landing Mm -hmm. um and so those are still very exciting to watch and so yeah this year i've been really into women's gymnastics and men's gymnastics i watched the men's (laughs) all-around final and it was really really fun Mm -hmm. for me uh, with those sports stress me out because there's i can't tell like who's winning as it's happening like yeah they're giving scores and to me it's all arbitrary like it's like i i have no idea what every little you know you know they oh they spread their legs apart this much that's this many points off and things like that like i i have no no knowledge of that so for me the whole time i'm just like 
how they do, how they do. Right, yeah. <laughs> I just no clue. <laughs> I also love how during, like, I'm one of the most least athletic people. I never watch sports in my free time. But I love how during the Olympics, I become, like, this pseudo-expert on sports. <laughs> like, As we all do. Yeah. yeah. My roommates are coming over, and I'm like, okay, so in this event, if the hop is bigger than the width of their shoulders, they get a three-tenths deduction. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's less, they get only a one-tenths deduction. And, oh, yeah. yeah. And I feel like every friend group has that one person person who like you'll all just be sitting around for an olympics party and somebody will just like start spouting facts and you're like okay this is really helpful information <laughs> right <laughs> and it's all Glad things we invited you. that i've learned just from the commentators during watching the olympics it's yeah. never it's almost <laughs> right. never like research i've done right. everyone else who's watching has gained the same info as me but i feel so intelligent <laughs> yeah depository yeah <laughs> oh man so how do you feel the commentation has gone this this olympics <sighs> well I feel a lot of different ways about it. So one, I've both watched the Olympics via the live streaming apps and the mm-hmm. prime time. And I feel like the commentary is very different on those two. Yes, very um, true. And so one thing that I feel like the commentary has been fine. The Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about like the sexism that's, a, that's involved in a lot of the commentary this mm-hmm. year. Um, a lot of female... Olympians being referred to as the wife of someone else instead of like an Olympian or, (laughs) or a lot of their like credit being immediately given to their coach who might be their husband or just like a male figure um, versus, you know, all the effort that they've put into this achievement. So those things have definitely been frustrating. Um, I haven't heard any of those live other than I guess Giselle being referred to as an export. (laughs) I I haven't really heard any of those live. I've just heard about them on Twitter afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, so my live experiences of the commentary has been fine. Um, Brent, what about you? Uh, yeah, pretty similar. Um, for the most part, it's, it like, I love the enthusiasm of folks who know what to be enthusiastic about watching gymnastics, um, Mm -hmm. coverage, like Lucas was saying, Uh, is always kind of funny because there'll be a moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, that thing she just did was like crazy and impressive. And the commentator will immediately be like, not her best. (laughs) And you're just like, okay, well, I I stand corrected. Um, Yeah, for the most part, though, it's felt pretty harmless. Um, Like uh, as during active viewing, but I agree that there have just kind of been some systemic issues that I'm glad people are bringing attention to. Right. Yeah. And in addition to just the sexism that that is inherently going to happen when you have something like that. It just the, I, th- I think a lot like during prime time, it's just so America centric and I get it that we're on uh, an American absolutely. network, but, but, but we're all here to watch the Olympics in general. So like, I don't necessarily want to like cut away from a gold medal match that, Oh, now America's out. Let's move on to something else that has America in it. Like, right. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here for the Olympics. I want to watch the whole thing. And I, and I, and I get that like, yeah, it's prime time. We, we have to cut around to a bunch of different things, but I feel like they're, they're, they're tracking America a little too tightly um, as opposed to kind of celebrating the whole, the whole games as one. Absolutely. I mean, I love, Michael Phelps as much as the next American, <laughs> but yeah. we don't need as much shots of him just like sitting and like listening to music when we could be watching like actual sporting events happen. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that was one of the things that made the men's all around gymnastics final. So exciting was that mm-hmm. there was an American competing, but he de- like, it was pretty much understood that he wasn't going to medal. Right. Um, right. And so while they did show his events, the focus was pretty evenly distributed amongst like 
the three main guys who were like fighting for those medals from different countries. Mm -hmm. And it was so fun to like watch that event and not, and like just get to pick who I was rooting for just based on like what I was learning in that moment about them and not based on, Oh, this person's American. So obviously like I'm inclined to root for this person. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That final was really, really different and exciting to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm curious, like, Every Olympics, I mean, as all of the ones that I've watched, I can just think of like lots of specific moments that stand out to me is um, whether it was like particularly memorable or really like captured what the Olympics represent to me. Um, so I'm curious, just now that we're like a week into the games, what have been some of those moments for you that really stood out or that you think you'll remember after this year? I tend to think of whenever I'm watching the Olympics, I tend to think in cinematic terms, like what would, which what would moment be a great from, movie. Yeah. <laughs> what moment from this Olympics would make like a great movie 10 years later, you know? Um, one that has really stood out to me that I didn't watch the sport or the games being played, but in prime time, they did a little featurette was um, the Fiji rugby team. Mm-hmm. Um, won the first gold medal for that, that country has ever won. Um, Fiji, again, all this is just gained from, like, information I learned yeah. during primetime, right. is, yeah. like, a country that's smaller than the state of Delaware. So we're talking about this very tiny country who's never won a gold medal, um, and rugby is just, like, this incredibly popular, important sport in that country. And they beat Great Britain and won the gold medal this year. And apparently, like, in their major soccer stadium in Fiji they had just like ton like thousands of people watching the rugby match like like awesome. like on a big screen just like and so like the country like kind of banded together all at once like watch this game and it just felt really exciting and um special I I wish I would have been a rugby fan and I wish I could have mm-hmm. like participated in that moment because even just like watching the recaps of it made me very emotional mm-hmm. yeah what about you, Lucas? I think, honestly, my favorite moment, and it usually is the same moment every year, is the the parade of flags. It's just all of these Olympians coming out, um, w- you know, shooting their cell phone video of the, of the stadium, and just everyone is so excited to be there and so excited to celebrate with their country. And for me, for me, that's just so much fun, um, just getting to watch everybody come out and everybody in their different outfits and everything, and just it's such a great celebration. Um, just that that one moment of everybody just kind of walking around and um, and taking it all in, I think is so much fun. And then they go off and do their amazing sports. But and, and there's nothing really spectacular about the parade of flags at all. But I think just everything it represents is really, really a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. There's so much hope and like gratefulness in the air during that event. Yep. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone yep. is so grateful to be there. And because none of the events have happened yet, there's so much like anticipation and hope. Like, yeah. maybe yeah. I could be the next like gold medalist. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's like, I mean, at that point, usually a few of the games have kind of started. Um, but it's still, you really haven't like broken into competition yet. And so there's still like just a great sense of, it it tends to feel like there's a great sense of kind of unity and Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. cooperation that night. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I think they mentioned about this opening ceremony is that when you finished your walk, your team just like went into like this big open pit area Mm. 
Yeah. And, like, oftentimes maybe it's, like, a little bit more organized or sectioned off so that, like, people stay with their country. Mm-hmm. But that this year it was very much just, like, everyone was free to roam and mingle with, like, all the other teams once they finished yeah. their walk. And mm-hmm. that was really I cool I love those watch. shots. Yeah, yeah, you got to see just kind of everybody just all hanging out together. So, so all the best mm-hmm. athletes in the world just chilling. So. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out. Really so, great. So, Brent, what, like, moment has really stood out to you? It's funny, because the moment that, like, I keep coming back to that I think about is, um, was not, it was immediately after a competition that happened on the medal stand, and it was, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Ryan Held. Uh, he was part of the men's 4x100 relay team, um, with Michael Phelps. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Held's this young kid, I think he might be, like, 19? Yeah. Uh, 21, excuse me. He's 21 years old. Um, and as they were standing on the medal stand, um, and the national anthem was playing, he just could not hold it together. He was just like, uh, he kept breaking into tears and then he would kind of like compose himself a bit and you could tell he was standing there. Did you both see this? Do you both know what I'm talking Uh, about? Yeah. I've seen like brief glimpses of it. Mm -hmm. So he's just standing there with his hand on his heart and you can just tell he's like, be a grown up, like be professional, be serious. (laughs) And all the other teammates are doing fine. And he just like, he keeps breaking down. And as we were watching it, it was like kind of embarrassing like it's kind of awkward because he was like obviously like it's just anytime somebody starts ugly crying and nobody else is it's like a little uncomfortable but it was also just so incredibly sweet and sincere and especially right afterwards all his teammates just like gave him hugs yeah and yeah i think in the olympics we get so used to seeing people who first of all are just performing at a level that's like unimaginable to both of us or to most of us um and then um they're also like just the sheer emotion of what they're encountering, they handle it with so much poise and grace that we can kind of forget, like, oh, you just, like, literally made history and your name will, like, go down in the history books. So anytime we have, like, moments of brief humanity kind of slip in, I think that can just kind of, like, remind us of of how big and impressive and important all this is. So just watching him stand on that stage trying to, like, hold it together, but just, like, really losing it, I just found so endearing and, like, mm-hmm. funny. And, um, yeah, it captured a lot of what the game represented. I'm assuming that, like, this was his first Olympics and first medal. As far as I know, I mean, he's 21, so it's possible he was here before. Um, but I think he was a newcomer to the games this year. Yeah. Also seeing, um, Thursday night, Simone Manuel, like medal in that, in that swimming event was really exciting. You could tell like it was a very unexpected win. At least that was my like perspective, um, was that it was kind of unexpected for her to like win that gold. Um, and so Yeah. yeah, her like shock and like emotion on her face immediately when the race was over um was just really great to see uh yeah I just was very taken by her and that was the same night that we had Simone Biles win the Mm all-around um in gymnastics and that all all the Simones (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, that was an event Simone Biles where I was really, like, pressuring is a strong word, but trying to get my friends to stay and watch with me because I knew how important it was going to be to watch her win that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had watched her do the first two events. I believe it was the uneven bars and the vault at the beginning of the prime time, and then they saved the second two events for the very end of the prime time that night. Um, Mm -hmm. They really made us wait until the last minute. Um, And, you know... I had tried to stay unspoiled on Thursday. I had, like, tried to stay off Twitter. I didn't want to know who won. and But then, of course, once primetime started, I needed to be on Twitter because part of the fun <laughs> of watching the Olympics in primetime is being on Twitter and watching it with all these right. people. And seeing what, yeah, seeing what people are talking about. So, 
Not for me, because being in California, they push it back two hours. Right. So your prime time is two hours before my prime time. So my East Coast Twitter blows up, and I basically have to just stay off of it until West Coast Twitter catches up. Right. But I, I think I think it's annoying. I think the whole United States should get this at once, even if it is a lot earlier for us out here on the West Coast. Um, it's something that we all like to do together. So it's like the Oscars. Like, we all love to you know, enjoy this one thing at the same time yeah. as a country. Yeah, that is a hard thing to, like, maneuver, especially because, but Lucas, if it if they were airing it at the same time, wouldn't it be, like, during your work day? Yeah, I don't care. We'll uh, watch it. Okay. I mean, lucky <laughs> the you. the schedule for the two weeks. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, um, it starts at 6 um, in Central Time, or it's 8, it's 8, 8 p.m. When does it start? It's 6 p.m.? 8 p.m. Eastern, Eastern 7, 7 Central. Central. 7 Central. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's 8 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific as well. So Yeah, you know, 5 p.m. If they had started it, like, across the board at the same time, right. would it have been 5 p.m. Pacific? Yeah. 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 That's and that'd doable. Be, that'd be yeah. great. You could get home yeah. for that. Yeah. yeah. And especially because, like, the, you know, the big moments aren't going to be at the very beginning. Right. 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 Yeah. That exactly. is interesting. So, um, yeah. It's just annoying because then it, you know, it's like midnight by the time everything's wrapped up and I'm just like, ugh. I know. Man. Yeah, these tape delays have been like a major point of conversation, I feel like, about whether NBC is handling this like well or not. Um I the lot I tried to like live stream some gymnastic events one day, thinking like, oh, instead of waiting for a primetime tape delay, I'm right. gonna watch it live and I'm gonna find out the winner. Unfortunately, I the event that I picked to do that was the team finals. And it wasn't a very oh, yeah. exciting match because the U.S. Yeah. like team <laughs> just from, yeah, was just like was... well, no, I didn't know who was gonna win. But oh, they... well, just from the trials, exactly. Was... <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just kind of smoked the other teams. Like there was no yeah. drama, <laughs> and so of all the events for me to watch live, like that wasn't a good one to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also you know a little bit tricky because. Even on the live stream, have y'all been live streaming any of these events? Very few. Yeah. I, I've been watching the, uh, what is it, the Gold gold Center, whatever. Okay. Where they're just showing, like, the, um, what's it called? It's it's, it's within the, 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 the app. They're, they're just showing, like, a section of, like, all the, the metal events kind of happening at the oh, moment. Oh, okay. So it's like mm-hmm. a, it's like a four, um, four screens at once kind of split right. from whatever sports are. Are, are in metal contention. When I was watching it, like I said, it was the team gymna- women's gymnastics. And that was like a really strange experience because there was like a main feed and I was watching that. It had the commentators and I was enjoying it, but like they weren't showing any of the Americans. They were just like showing... And, I, mm. you know, I want to see an even spread, but I definitely do want to see Americans, yeah, like, the perform. Yeah, the gold. Um, and so I kept being confused, and I found out that you could watch separate feeds. Like, you could watch just the uneven bars, or you could watch just the balance beam, or yeah. just, like, the floor. And so I had to, like, find out where they were, like, competing at. And, like them around. Yeah, chasing them around, but I didn't, like realize I could do that until maybe like halfway through the event. It was a very strange experience to like try to get my bearings of like what feed am I supposed to be watching? When am I supposed to switch over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I believe that the individual feeds of the events didn't have commentators, which I really need and yeah. appreciate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If there's no commentation, it uh, is not going to work out for me. Yeah. I, I don't know enough about sports to, to watch it without people like guiding me through what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> 
The only other moments for me that always really stand out uh, in my memory are the times in which, like, someone does something that is, like, that we've never seen before or that is, like, just so impressive that we all kind of, like, fall back, like, in awe of the gods among us. Yeah. <laughs> so there was one last night. I didn't actually catch the games last night. I was with a few folks. Um, and apparently there was a there was a, a longer distance sw- swimming race in which Katie Ledecky won by, like, something like 12 seconds. Ugh. And, yeah. Sandra, did you see yeah. this, screen, this yes. shot that was being passed around where um, she has reached the end and so NBC posts the little, like, Katie Ledecky uh, world record banner and none of the other swimmers are even visible on the screen because she's so far ahead of them. <laughs> and like the caption yeah. everybody was passing around was like, this is not photoshopped because it just, it's like, imp- it's so hard to believe that a race could end with that dramatic of a distance. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah she's been just a beast this whole mm-hmm. Olympics. I, I want to point out while we're talking about Olympics, not um, an event that I watched, but a piece that I read that I thought was really, really interesting. If you um, are very taken with Michael Phelps the way I am. Um, there is a piece on The Ringer about the entourage of Michael Phelps that hmm. I thought was just, it just, I learned so much about him by who he surrounds himself with and like what kind of role all these different people play in his life. Um, it's just like a piece about, yeah, all the most important people that are a part of his like personal team and not his like swimming team. Mm-hmm. So there's his mother, his sports agent, his coach, his fiance, his best friend, who's also an Olympian. Um, and so, yeah, just reading about all those people and like all the different ways they've like come into his life and affected his swimming career was really, yeah. really interesting. So I would recommend checking out that piece on the ringer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, will do. Um, Oh, I, I, we, we kind of got off on a tangent about time delays, but I did want to bring up Simone Biles, like floor routine, how, like I said, I was trying not to be spoiled for that event, for that event and who was going to medal, even though it was like, she was very favored. But of course, being on Twitter, I found out immediately. And so even though I knew that she got the medal and that Allie Raceman got silver, um, I didn't know who got bronze. And so that was like a little mystery for me. Um, I'm also like a big fan of uh, Mustafina, the Russian gymnast who is also competing for that all around medal. Mm -hmm. I remembered her from the last Olympics and was very taken with her that Olympics and was excited to see her again this year. I loved her stoicism and like this focus that she had on her face, even when she like was off the, the competition floor. Um, so it was really fun to see her compete again. And I was really rooting for her as like this dark horse in that race where these Americans were so favored to win. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, seeing Simone Biles, like do that floor routine was just like awe-inspiring. We, it was one of my friends, Linda, she mentioned that it was really great to see other gymnasts do the same event before Simone Biles to see just how much better she is than those yeah. gymnasts. Um, where other like world class Olympians are performing an event and they're you know maybe faltering or falling in certain points, um, to see her do something so flawlessly that other people could not do flawlessly was so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just really blown away by her and. Um, just like her perfectionism throughout this whole yeah. Olympics, mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch and see if she wins those like n- those three gold medals that she's also aiming for, and end up with the five total. Uh, what, so one of the questions talking about the broadcast, 
I'm curious about. Um, I watch almost no live TV nowadays. Like uh, we have um, like local channels at our apartment, but we don't subscribe to cable or anything. Pretty much all my TV is streamed. Um, so I get some commercials, but they're like streaming commercials. Mm-hmm. So part of the weird experience of I've been streaming the live NBC broadcast is getting many more commercials than I normally take in in an average week, getting my very first um, like campaign commercials. I've been getting a lot of yeah. Hillary Clinton commercials, which I had not seen any up until this week. Right. Um, so I'm curious, um, because we see so many commercials repeated, which commercial are you the most tired of seeing? Ugh. I hate the commercial that has the song from the Lego movie. Yes, that's the one I was yeah. just pulling up. Yeah, the Everything is Awesome song, but it's like, Everything is Awesome when you're sharing a meme is like one of the lyrics uh-huh. in the commercial. Yeah, I'm over it. Well, and especially because like, the th- when yeah, I mean, I feel like the cover of the song is just really bizarre. I love the original Everything is Awesome, but in the Lego movie, like part of the point of the song Everything is Awesome is like, don't think too hard. Just right. like watch more TV. Just like accept what we're telling you. And it's so to like, like ironic. Right. Yeah. And it feels like this yeah. is supposed to be like a very sincere version of that, which weirds me out. Yeah. The commercial that, that also really weirds me out is I think it's McDonald's, but it uses a cover of Time After Time. Is it with the kids? Yeah. It's very incestuous. Yeah, because it like it plays it out as this romance. And the twist at the end is like, it's actually her dad. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah. The funny thing is we were watching the Olympics um, and I usually put the commercials on mute. Um, and so we see this commercial and it's on mute and we're trying to figure out what's happening without any sound. Mm-hmm. And again, like it looks very romantic. It's like this boy and this girl like gazing at each other and like doing similar activities. But you can tell like they're from different times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's going to be a time travel love story. <laughs> McDonald's is like getting into like a sci-fi love story and then all of a sudden the little boy becomes her dad Mm -hmm. and it was like a twist. Yeah, and it was like it's a fun concept the idea of like they share this these childhood memories of McDonald's and he's like passing it down to his daughter but everything about the way that commercial was produced and especially with the song the, yes. the, the song selection well, it just it has the wrong and vibe. that was the thing was we were like well maybe because the audio's off we we're like missing a major element that like makes it not a love story mm-hmm. but then we saw it again with the audio and we're like oh no That's this worse. is worse <laughs> this is very romantic <laughs> I think for me the commercial that I'm I'm extremely sick of is the uh, Joel McHale oh, what is it yes Enterprise yes whatever, whatever the whatever the car rental Joel McHale uh, commercial where he I'm changes so facial hair like six times yeah mm-hmm. yeah I'm I'm kind of sick of him which uh, I right. might be most of it but <laughs> yeah that commercial's terrible. Lucas have you heard about the new show he's part of this fall we talked about oh, we, it we on talked the about that on the podcast when we weren't here yeah um, I just I saw it's Linda Holmes, be terrible uh, yeah I just saw Linda Holmes tweeting about it this week and oh, Linda Holmes from yeah. NPR um, and she was basically saying like the one joke of the show is like, oh, man, how about those millennials, right? And how about PC culture, am I right? Right. And so, yeah, I have no interest. Yeah, in we talked about it a week when you weren't here, and it, I think it's truly the worst-looking show of the new lineup. Oof. Like, yep, of all definitely. the shows, I I am the most frustrated with the, this one existing. <laughs> the Great Indoors. Yes. Yeah. It's um, going to be terrible. <laughs> but going back to commercials, I really will say that even though there are definitely some that we're sick of, um, I really like commercials during the Olympics. Like, I they just feel so exciting and, like, majestic. I think they're so much better than, like, Super Bowl commercials are mm-hmm. that are that tend to be trying so hard or are, like, trying so hard to, like, land a punchline that sometimes doesn't hit and sometimes does. But these... 
um, Olympics commercials, I just love that they're all just about like being great and like doing mm-hmm. hard work and and may, and you can achieve your dreams. Like to see commercial or com- and commercial after one after another with all of those messages. I as far as commercials go, I'll take them. Like yeah, there's a great Nike yeah. commercial that like starts with it's like a real bizarre it's real meta but like i've seen it enough now that i think i finally get it it starts with the commentator like telling people to like push themselves harder and like achieve their dreams uh-huh. and then it like hits mm-hmm. the point of the commercial where it's supposed to like be the end or be the punchline and i think it's like a, a gymnast who like swings and kicks the logo off the screen and they just start like working even harder and like being more ambitious and the commentator's like oh wait no like no you're trying like you're going know, too far yeah. you're going too fast. do you know who does the voice <laughs> no who that? is the voice oscar isaac oh wow yeah. okay yeah i should have recognized it yeah uh, but yeah that one's like really fun and playful there are a few others i mean i will take Commercials about Olympic moms until I'm dead. Oh, I, I know. Never get tired of those. <laughs> right. Um, oh, and it's yeah. also fun to like, I know I shouldn't be worried about this, but it's fun to see Olympians in commercials like doing little endorsements because I'm just like, yes, you're getting paid. You're going to like, <laughs> <Making money. laughs> yeah, I, I shouldn't be, but I'm so worried sometimes about like these Olympians, like how do they make money? Like <laughs> how do they support themselves? And they're fine. They're fine. But I, yeah. I do like, I am happy to see that like they're getting paid somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, looked up Michael Phelps net worth and he's doing fine. He's his net worth on the internet apparently is like $55 million. I mean, at this point he could just melt down his medals and he would right. be in pretty good shape yeah. for a while. True. <laughs> true. Oh, a funny thing I read on Twitter, uh, there is a swimmer that is competing. Um, his name is, his last name is Irwin. Um, but he is uh, the oldest swimmer on the U.S. team right now. He's, he's 35. I believe he won a gold last night, making him the oldest male swimmer to win gold. Wow. Um, and um, he was really interesting to me because he competed in the Olympics when he was 19 and then took an eight-year break. He didn't compete in the Olympics at all in his 20s and then came back when he was 31 at the last Olympics and then is back this year at 35. Um, So that was really cool to just, like, see his journey um, and see him competing. And I looked him up on Twitter, and I saw one of his tweets was he had won two medals um, before this Olympics, and he said, you know, the first one I sold to charity, so I don't have that one anymore. He goes, <laughs> and I lost the second one. <laughs> so even though he's won oh two gosh. medals, he doesn't have, and before this Olympic, he didn't have any in possession. And so he just recently, I think, won another gold in this Olympic. So I'm glad he's that he, hang like... Hang on to it tight. Exactly. Jeez. It really does make me wonder, like... Has Michael Phelps lost a medal? Like, he has so many. That, so, like, yeah, yeah. He must I want to have, see a picture yeah. of him wearing them all. I have not, I don't think, I don't know if, I'm sure that picture doesn't exist yet, but yeah, I want to see a picture of him with Once all, he, like, is it gets 25 back home, now? Yeah. 25 or 26. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Well, do y'all have any other major Olympic moments that you wanted to bring up? I mean, we didn't talk about the Tongan flag bearer, but I feel like that's been pretty well covered <laughs> by social media. Oh, man. I'm good. Oh, good. Well, I had a good time talking about this. I think we're going to keep watching the Olympics. Um, yep. I'm excited for a lot of the the track and field events to get started. Uh, And yeah, I guess that's about it. Mm -hmm. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, Let's talk about where you can find us on the internet. Lucas, where can we find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Lucas and Stuff. Uh, You can find me on most social media platforms under the handle BRPABA. 
and I'm Sandra Amstutz. You can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Trying to get back into Instagram because I'm having some issues with Snapchat at the moment and trying to decide if I'm going to like stick with it or not. Instagram stories. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm dipping my toe in the Instagram stories water. (laughs) So yeah, definitely go follow me on Instagram and see me messing around with that. Um, you can follow our podcast Twitter account at Feeling It Pod, where we tweet out our episodes as well as links to things that we talked about. And feel free to contact us on there if you have something you wanted to say about something we talked about. We or love feedback. Absolutely. Or or a cool thing you want to share with us that you know you think we might enjoy. Definitely, we always love recommendations as well. We would love to know your favorite Olympic moment so far. Absolutely, especially if you can include a GIF. Yes. Uh. Or a GIF, preferably a GIF. <laughs> we'll have that combo we'll off mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Adios. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 